Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensured that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by James Hyde, Chief Executive of James & James Fulfillment. James & James Fulfillment is an e-commerce fulfillment company. James, hello. Hiya. Before we get into the actual leadership questions, you have quite an interesting story. I understand that you and a friend of yours set up your company because you just couldn't find someone to do the service for you. Yeah, that's right. We were working at a health food retailer trying to sell online. Um, and whilst technology for sort of mobile payments and everything else has come a long way, the technology used actually within businesses to uh, report on what was going on in the, the warehouse and fulfillment center back to the office. Um, found that a lot of what you would call e-commerce fulfillment companies, there's companies that do, do the, the picking, packing, and boxing mm-hmm. of the product before it goes to the end customer, were using a, a lot of quite antiquated software. Um, saw that as a gap in the market and started our own business to do that. Fantastic. Well, we might as well dive right into the interview portion of this. Uh, what does the word leader mean to you? It's an interesting word, isn't it? It's one that gets debated a lot. I think there's a big difference between leader and manager. Um, a manager is someone who is in a in a an authoritative position, but I think a leader is someone that maybe doesn't have an authoritative position, but they could do, but is generally someone who is looked up to because they have a, a vision or a clarity that people look towards as someone for where we should be going. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? My personal leadership style, I, always, I find these questions really difficult because it's always difficult to describe your own style. I think it's easy for <laughs> other people right. to describe your style. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at coming up with the vision and how we, you know, what, what, what things should look like and where we want to go. Um, and I think for me, it's about, uh, how do you communicate that across? Whereas mm-hmm. the actual management of the, the day to day part, uh, is something that definitely doesn't fit my style as well. It's something I can do, but it's definitely something I'd leave, uh, to more of the, the management team internally in the company to actually make things happen. So you, you take the initiative, but you do uh, have a separation between, between yourself and the, the actual managers of the business. Yeah, to some extent. I'm a terrible finisher. So <laughs> I'm good at starting projects and coming up with ideas to do it, but not necessarily the best person at seeing through to all the final parts of it. Um, so it's really good to have a team you can reply, rely on internally that you can start off with the idea of where we should be going and then have confidence that somebody else is going to really see that through. This is the quality I hear a lot in, in, a, in quite a few different leaders, is that understanding uh, the parameters uh, of your own personality and understanding what you're good at and understanding what you're not so good at uh, and being able to delegate those things is, is a, a key leadership feature. Now, let's go back to your early career. When you were first starting out in business, was there a particular influence on you uh, that molded the way that you lead today? I think so. I think my the thing you just mentioned, which is this is the, the awareness of what you're good at and not good at, is something that is, is crucial to good leadership. I think I probably wasn't aware of that when we started. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I probably started a company, and bearing in mind back in the early days, we were doing everything ourselves. So 
So there was no real leadership. It was just uh, come up with the idea and then implement the idea and then do the idea and then sort of <laughs> fix all the things that went wrong with it yourself. So I think the evolution into a leadership role is something that comes as you get size and scale within a business. Uh, and definitely my role in that has changed significantly in the past two or three years. So it wouldn't necessarily be an individual, but an experience that formed the way that you uh, lead today. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a selection of uh, of experiences and and people that kind of open your eyes up to the world of you know how do we make how do we get more and more people behind an idea. I think when you've got a company of you know going back quite a few years now, say ten people, it's really easy to get ten people excited about something because mm-hmm. it's obvious to them. Uh, what's going on and they talk to you regularly once you get to over 100 people it's now much much harder to get those 100 people to really understand right. exactly where we're going and there's lots of different projects all going on at once and I think that's where leadership starts to become something you have to put effort into and how uh, do you get really that, that 100 people to understand the message again not a simple quick answer to that I think you have to break it down you have to simplify it um, some of the strategy that goes into a business of that size is quite complex, of but course. you have to really simplify it down into, you know, where is it, what is the company going to be next year or in two years or in three years? You know, for us, we're growing quite quickly. We're looking at moving into bigger premises. And so one of the things, you know, we complain is saying, you know what, in a year's time, we're going to be in this building. It's going to be three times the size. We're going to have this many people. And that gives people more of an understanding than just talking about turnover or profit multiples or numbers. And would you say that's the greatest challenge in leading that amount of people? I think the communicate, yeah, communication of a clear strategy and vision. Because it's all well and good having a hundred people doing work, but if they're all doing work in slightly different directions, it's a lot less efficient. Right, right. Now, what sort of leaders inspire you? Another good question. I think, I think the leaders inspire me are people that are generally passionate. I think passion and leadership come hand in hand. Mm. There are some people that, that aren't necessarily passionate leaders, but the ones that really get people on board with an idea are those people that, that one, believe in it themselves, uh, and two, have a real excitement for it that's almost you know, infectious or contagious. Now, if I was to press you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I don't think I could answer that. I think, uh, sorry, but I, I think there's so many different leaders and so many great leaders in so many roles that are almost uh, not publicized in that way that it's very difficult to say who is the greatest leader mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I, I think some of the great leaders in our society and especially in business and thinking of this podcast are not necessarily the people in the papers. Absolutely. Now, before uh, we move on to the, the final portions of our interview here, uh, you, are not, you are an entrepreneur. Um, young people are coming up every day uh, wishing to get started in business. If you were speaking to a secondary school student who is looking to follow your path, what advice would you give to them? Uh, make sure you think about it really, really strongly before you do. Um, <laughs> no, being an entrepreneur, there's a hugely, you know, I think, I think uh, it's hugely exciting. You get obviously a huge choice in what you do, but it is a very, um, it's a very different lifestyle and the fact that it becomes and your business becomes everything that you do in all your time right? Uh, and it is quite a big commitment so I think um, I think there's a, a lack of understanding sometimes about how hard entrepreneurs work to get ideas off the ground and those first sort of three or four years how tough they can be um, sort of psychologically socially 
uh, in many different ways in that. Uh, but likewise, it's a huge. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to give a talk that, that made it sound like you shouldn't. Um, I think the people that generally nav- navigate to that are people that have a strong desire to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing uh, startup businesses in this country? I would say, in any country, it's always the the knowledge and the experience. Uh, if you're an experienced if you're experienced entrepreneur starting up another business, it's generally a question of quality of the idea and execution. But if you've got a really good idea but you've not done it before, there's so much to know. There's so much support you need around, you know, how do you run a company? How do you set strategy? How do you do payroll? Even, you know, basic things that it's very easy to have someone who's a great leader with a really great idea, but it can still fall down if they haven't got the experience or the people around them to help. Mm. Now, unfortunately, our time together is... Uh, quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store uh, for James and James Fulfillment? So we're currently going through an investment round um, externally uh, to the business. We're looking at moving into a premise which will be, I think it'll be about, uh, or floor plan, twice the size of the building with with more operational space inside, about six times the capacity of what we're doing now. Uh, And then continuing our overseas expansion as well and I, I think going back to the last point I said around you know what stops companies growing one of the, the key things I see in, in our business is helping other uh, online stores entrepreneurial stores fast growing stores is giving them the ability to take off some of that experience and saying you know, we can pick and pack we can ship your product globally for you you concentrate on your product and growing your business mm. and that's a way I think you know we can help um, a lot of scale up and startup businesses well, James, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and we have to have you back on the show in the near future to fill us in on how things are going. James, thank you. Okay. Great. Thanks so much. That was James Hyde, Chief Executive of James and James Fulfillment. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me and realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes 
Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, 
you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, uh, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned. Uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to, to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago of course with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers we, we still got on our wives got on with, all together all those years later it didn't just finish after 66 it, that reunion that camaraderie that team spirit mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long 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 time and I wouldn't I... When, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today.
You're welcome, but it's good to it's nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with Arsenal and just uh, refresh my me- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.